Hey everyone, this is Chad. Thanks for taking time to listen to my latest sermon. I want to give you a quick update before the sermon plays. At Creekside, we just had our annual business meeting. This is a meeting where we talk about budget, share vision, and celebrate the work of God in the last year. And one of the things we celebrated this year is that our sermon podcast listens went from somewhere around 2,000 to over 15,500. I want to publicly just say thanks to God for that. And I want to say thank you for listening. We put these sermons online for you, and it's good to know that you're listening, and I hope that you are being impacted. We would love for this upward trend of sermon podcast listens to continue, and you can help with that in four ways. First, keep listening. And second, if you listen to this on a podcast host, please subscribe. Also, if you would leave us a rating or review, that would help our sermons be heard by more people. And finally, if you find any of these sermons really valuable and think that somebody else might benefit from them, please share them. We would really appreciate you doing those things. One last thing, as always, if you find this sermon particularly helpful, we would love to know about it. If you do, please email us at respond at creekside.me. Again, thanks for listening, everyone. I hope that this sermon will help you learn and live more fully for Jesus. Well, we do begin a new series today uh, about hope, really, and I'm excited to be doing this live. Haven't done that in a while. Um, And I want to start by telling you that my great-great-uncle, not my great-uncle, he's alive and well. He bought me a couple of dinners when I was in Austin, Texas recently, so we're not going to have him be dead. My great-great-uncle, who's 99 years old, he passed away this week, and we'll be going to his funeral tomorrow. You can't see it because of the lights. We're still working on this new screen thing. But uh, he passed away this week at 99, Earl McLean, and... In the middle of those 99 years, uh, Uncle Earl, as I knew him, he got offended by some actions of some people at a church, and as he was offended by those actions, him and his family uh, stopped going to church altogether, and, and really, uh, they, they stopped serving God altogether. He just kind of gave up on God for a long period of time. Now, what I love to be able to tell you is that in my lifetime, the 33 years that I've been alive, I only knew him as a devoted Christian who served God, who prayed for me. Uh, One of the reasons I probably have lasted in ministry this long is because he prayed for me uh, and who diligently served his church and and served God through his church. In fact, on his 99th birthday, it was like his dream to be able to go and and lead something at his church that was right near his house, but he wasn't able to do it because of health. And um, when I think about that kind of life trajectory, where my uncle Earl turned his back on God for a long time, just forgot about him. He wasn't like anti-Christian or I hate God or anything like that. It just was like, God, I'm going to do my own thing now because I was hurt by that church because I didn't like that church. And when I think about that and then, and then the turnaround that he made uh, where he spent his dying days, his mind was sharp until the very end. It was incredible to talk to him because it was like a living history lesson uh, because you just don't meet many 99-year-olds that talk about World War II like it was yesterday. Oh yeah, it was a Thursday afternoon and it was incredible, but um, until his di- in his dying days, uh, he, he would read the Bible to somebody that was in this nursing home with him because she couldn't read anymore and because he found out she was a Christian so he would just read the Bible to her hour by hour. He, he wrote like a month and a half ago or something crazy uh, uh, a, a fictional portrayal of the young life of Jesus that's like 50 pages. He wrote that at 99 years old. I haven't read it yet but I'll let you know what I think when I'm done with it. I guess since he's died I probably can't say it wasn't very good but I'll let you know. Um, and I think about that life 
And it is representative of what we're going to see in, in this beautiful book in the Bible called Hosea today. And that is that while my great-great-uncle Earl rejected God for a while, God never, ever gave up on him. When I look around our world today, especially our country, I see an incredible amount of unfaithfulness. I mean, we live in a country, right, that, that in some ways was founded on Christian principles. We live in a country that has been historically blessed by God, and we have songs about that and we think about that and we talk about that we've been historically blessed we live in a country where there is freedom to worship God in any way that we want to worship God and 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 as Christians we can we can gather in settings like this and do this without any fear of persecution without any fear of 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 violent threats I mean we get to do that we live in a country that has the technology where where we can learn just about an unlimited amount of things about who God is and how God has interacted with us. We have complete access to the Bible and really, if we wanna go to a library, we have complete access to just about 2,000 years of writing on, on that Bible and what people have taught us about that Bible. And yet, I look around and I see a country that is more and more rejecting the God who has given us all those things I talked about through video the last five or six weeks how the church in many ways has been completely unfaithful to the desires, to the, to the will of God, to, uh, to what he wants for us as church. We've just been completely disobedient to that. We've been unfaithful. And I look at, at individuals, both those who call themselves Christians and those who have completely rejected God. But I look at, at just our country and the way that people live their lives and there is this utter rejection of, of God and what God stands for and what God wants. And, and more and more I see that in people that, uh, that call themselves Christians. It's like I follow Jesus but I don't care much about what Jesus wants from me. Our country, our churches, people are filled, are full of unfaithfulness. And what that can do to me, I don't know if you're like this, if you're a Christian that's trying to serve God, but what that can do to me is it can make me completely cynical about the chances of our country and our churches and our people ever being faithful to God again. I can be a person that just says like, they'll never come back to God. They'll, they'll never be faithful to God. We'll never be faithful to God. We'll never get it right. We'll never be obedient to him. We'll never truly seek the glory of God. It's really easy for us to give up on ourselves, to give up on people. But what we're going to see in this book of Hosea is that just like God never turned his back on my Uncle Earl, just like God never uh, rejected him, God is not and will not reject us, even in the midst of our unfaithfulness. This book of Hosea is, is brilliant. At least the first three chapters are brilliant brilliant it is the first of the minor prophets and by the way this series of sermons and, and I think I told you this if you were around a couple of weeks ago but this series of sermons that we're going to do for the next four weeks is actually a continuation of of some sermons I did about a year ago now and uh, a year ago I, I looked at these books in the Old Testament called the Minor Prophets. And they're called that not because they're unimportant, but because they're short. They're not very long at all. And, and so American, English, not Americans, but English uh, versions of the Bible have grouped these books together and said, well, they're small. We'll put them at the end of the Old Testament and call them the Minor Prophets. The Jewish version of the Bible doesn't do that, but the English versions have. And uh, I looked at them and, and what I discovered is 
I like them. It's like the books that you don't know are in the Bible. Like you say the name of one of these books and you're like, eh, that could be made up, right? Like that might be in there, that might not be in there. Even like the, you know, a person that doesn't know anything about the Bible and about God or anything, if you're like, is there a book of Genesis in the Bible? Like, yeah, there's a book of Genesis. Is there a book of Zephaniah? We're not so sure, right? Like that's kind of the books. Like if you've ever heard a name that sounded made up and somebody said it's in the Bible, it's probably in these minor prophets. And when I looked at them, what I discovered, and this is what I love about the minor prophets. They're actually my favorite books in the Old Testament. Like these 12 are like my favorite because these writers, these prophets, they're not telling the future as sometimes we think about prophets doing. They're actually giving God's perspective on the present, their present. Like what's happening amongst the Jewish people and in the Jewish faith and in the Israelite nation. They're giving God's perspective on that. And if you just pay attention at all, what you quickly discover is that what was happening in the Israelite nation with the Jewish people is not that different than what's happening in our world today and probably in every era of history, right? And so you see in these books this wonderful perspective of God on these situations that you and I face every day. Like for example, in the book of Hosea, there's a bunch of stuff going on and we'll touch on these more in detail in a minute, but, but there's this unfaithfulness in his country. There's unfaithfulness in the, in the godly leadership that is supposed to be teaching people in the way of God. They don't even love God. And there's this unfaithfulness in, in the political world where the political people have become fickle and they're not doing their God-given duty which was to lead people in a way that, that honored and glorified God and they totally had rejected that. And God shows up to this guy named Hosea and he says, hey, I want you to write this book and it's a little more involved than that for Hosea as we'll see in a second but I want you to write this book because I want people to know how I see this situation. I want people to know what I think about this unfaithfulness and what I'm going to do about this unfaithfulness. And, and this book is, is perhaps the most interesting because it's really split into two sections and they're not like right down the middle. The first three chapters are this story about Hosea's marriage that we'll look at in just a second. And then chapters four through 14, which we won't look in in much detail today, but they're about really the, the sins of the Israelites and the punishment that will come with those sins if they don't, if they don't repent and turn to God. And, and, and that's where we see that there's political problems and that there's problems in their churches to use our, our more modern vernacular. There's problems in their Christian leadership and there's problems with their disobedience to God and all these things that, that we see all around us, right? The morality that, that we know God wants has been completely rejected in politics and in, in, in religious circles and with the people. And that's what chapters 4 through 14 are about. And, and the book kind of begins this way. I mean, this is where really when we get to the heart of it in Hosea chapter 1 verse 2. And it's a shocking beginning. He's, this is what it says. When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, go marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her. How'd you like to get that right there? For like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. So there's a guy named Hosea. And it's really easy at least for me maybe you're not like this to think about people who wrote in the bible who who like existed in the bible not as like real human humans you know it's like well they're just stories in this book that we read and things like that but like think about it now like you can use your name I don't want to use my name because it's a little too crazy of a story right like just put your name in there and then and then God you're just sitting around you're having your prayer time you're 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 worshiping God and he's like Hey, Bob, I don't think we have any Bobs here. So, hey, Bob, I want you to go marry a promiscuous woman, a woman who runs around with other men. Oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, what do you say to that? Yes is what you say, I guess. And, and so God says right at the beginning, he's like, look, I want you to marry this woman who is a little bit slickety. And I, I want you, my word, not the Bible's, I want you to marry this woman that's a little bit slickety because... Because I want you to be a living illustration of how unfaithful 
the nation of Israel has been to me. And really what we see in the first three chapters is this living illustration where the marriage of Hosea to a woman named Gomer becomes a representation, a real-life representation of the people's relationship to God, God being the husband, the nation of Israel being the wife, who has been unfaithful, who has rejected, who has been adulterous towards God, their husband. And, and, and the story continues in, in verses 3 through 4, and, and you should have a lot of respect for Hosea because it says there, So he married Gomer, daughter of Diblam, and she conceived and bore him a son. Then the Lord said to Hosea, Call him Jezreel, because I will soon punish the house of Jehu for the massacre at Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of Israel. Hosea is faithful to God. That's probably why he's picked for this job, right? When when there's a country, a nation full of unfaithfulness, those who are faithful stand out amongst their culture. And here we see that Hosea is faithful to God's call, even though it's perhaps the worst call in the history of the world. I mean, it's really like the worst thing God could say to you. And he's faithful to it and he marries this woman. And let me just kind of give you the the short version of the story, but we'll look at it in in just a bit more detail later. But, but, But here's the story. He marries this adulterous woman. She does not stop in her adultery. And yet Hosea continues to pursue and love and cherish and reach out to Gomer over and over again. And right up front, let's just be clear, this this is the story of God's love for you and I. This is the point of the first three chapters of the book of Hosea. We are unfaithful, and yet God never stops loving us and reaching out to us and seeking us and desiring to have a relationship with us. But there's a bit more before we, we kind of see that in the story of Hosea. Because right here at the beginning, she conceives and she has a son by Hosea, Gomer does. And and God says, I want you to call him Jezreel. And it's an interesting name because it means God will sow. And it's actually a location where this guy named Jehu was murdered by this other guy named Ahab, uh, which isn't really so important to this story. But but basically, it's this idea where where God is is showing up front. There's two things that are going to happen in this story that you need to understand. There's God saying, look, you are being unfaithful to me and that requires because of my justness that I punish you. I cannot allow you to continue to be unfaithful to me. However, in the same language of God's sowing, we see that that it is connected to him sowing his wrath, but it's also him sowing, offering a way out a way for them to continue in this good, right relationship with him. And so in the the first child, we see this name that says, look, if you're gonna be like this, I have to do something about it. But I want you to know up front that while I may punish you, I will not stop loving you and I will not stop seeking you and I will not stop hoping that you come back to me. And then it says that Gomer conceived again in verse six and gave birth to a daughter. And the Lord said to Hosea, call her Lo-Ruhamah, which means not loved, or it can mean not pitied, for I will no longer show love to Israel that I should at all forgive them. So we see like, like God saying, look, hey, here's, you gotta understand that at some point, and this is what he's saying through this name, which by the way, the language here suggests that this actually isn't Hosea's daughter. This is actually a daughter through another man because she's continuing in her unfaithfulness towards him. She is sleeping around with other men. And so this is not Hosea's child, but he's like, hey, Hosea, you're gonna raise this kid and you're going to call this kid not pitied because there will come a point if something doesn't change where I will no longer be able to pity the nation of Israel and then says this in 89 after he had weaned lo Ruhama, Ruhama excuse me Gomer had another son and the Lord said call him lo Ami which means not my people for you are not my people and I am not your God 
Now, this seems counterintuitive to what I've already said, right? Like, like hey, wait, God is, is rejecting them. And here's what we're going to find in the story. That God is not pitying them and God is not calling them his people even though they have been created as a country, as a nation to be his people. Not because he stopped loving them. But because they are rejecting what he wants to offer them. You see, this isn't God saying, and we're gonna see this so clearly as the story moves on. This isn't God saying, I don't want you to be my people. This isn't God saying, I don't want to have pity on you. I don't want to have mercy on you. I don't want to bestow my grace upon you. This is God saying, if you continue to sleep around to be unfaithful to me, then we cannot have the relationship that we were destined to have When I created my covenant with you, and look, let's be clear about this covenant that they are so clearly rejecting. God, way back at the beginning with a guy named Abraham, looked at this guy named Abraham who was in the Old Testament. He said, look, you are going to be the father of many nations. I want you to be my family. And then time goes on, he has a great, great, great grandkid and and the promise continues and and he looks at this guy named Jacob and he says, hey, you now no longer will be just my family but you will be my great nation. He changes his name to Israel and and time goes on and the, the Israelites are enslaved by Egypt and they come out of slavery and God has this conversation with this guy named Moses and he says, look, look, now the nation is really going to take off and, and you will be my treasured possession. You'll be my royal priesthood. You're gonna be, you're gonna be my people. But in the midst of all of it, God makes clear That while the relationship is not based on anything they've done, it's based on his grace and his mercy and his love towards them. If they are unfaithful to him, then that covenant is going to be broken. And over and over and over again, the Israelite people choose to be unfaithful to God in their disobedience. God says, I want you to do this. They say, sorry, God, we don't want to do that. So the relationship is severed. And then... Over and over and over again, God reaches back out to his people and says, I still desire to have a relationship with you. And he draws them back. And he resuscitates, he revives the covenant once again. Verse 2, 8, we see what's at the heart of the problem. And oh man, this is, this, this is just like our country today. This is just like our churches. This is just like so many of us in our relationship to God. I mean, really, he gets in in chapter two, verses eight, he gets to the heart of the reason why people are so unfaithful to God, even though they understand God and they believe in God and they they, they know what God has done for them. And he, he describes it through what's going on in the life of Hosea and his marriage to Gomer. He says in, verses, in chapter two, verse eight, she has not acknowledged that I was the one who gave her the grain, the new wine and the oil, who lavished on her the silver and gold, which they used for Baal. Now, what's weird about chapter two is the story of Hosea and Gomer and the story of God and Israel are so intertwined, you you should go home and read it. You can't actually tell what's being talked about because they're just so hand in hand, they're so meshed together. It's like, wait, is that about God and Israel? But that's kind of the point, right? In the unfaithfulness of Gomer, we see the unfaithfulness of Israel and in the love of Hosea, we see the love of God. And here in chapter two, verse eight, what we see is that she, Gomer, doesn't understand that the reason she's been so blessed is because Hosea is the one blessing her. He's providing for her. He's feeding her. He's taking care of her. It says that they they worshiped Baal and what's happening in the lives of the Israelites, and this is what happens in our lives, is they understand that they've been blessed They understand that they have enough food to eat. They understand that they have been uh, given some wealth and that their nation is, is good and healthy and vibrant. But what they don't understand, what they have forgotten, 
is that God is the one who has given them those blessings. And so instead of being faithful to God, they have rejected him. And in fact, they have worshipped these, these things that are false gods. Baal is kind of a catch-all term for a false god like a literal false god, like made of stone. And they said, we are blessed. Let's make some stones to worship to express our thankfulness and our gratitude towards. This is us. This is us. We live in a country, and we know this, right? Even if you don't like what's happening in our country today, even if you're like, our country's going downhill and all that... We live in a country, you know this, where we have it pretty good, right? I mean, you don't worry about where your next meal is coming from. You're free. You, for the most part, don't go to the movie theater, the mall, and, and worry about getting shot, even though we've had those incidences. But you don't, you don't go to those places worrying that a bomb's going to go off. You feel safe when you lay your head down at night. And what happens, what's happened in our country is that we've taken those blessings and we've praised all the wrong things. The American ingenuity, it's, it's our ability to, to think and to be smart. And sometimes what we praise, and this is especially true and sadly true in Christian circles, we actually praise our country for those things. Like, well, it's because of our nation that we're so blessed. And we almost worship in Christian circles our, our nation. And, and we have, we've come to this weird place in our country where people care more about their politics than their God because it's like, well, our political way has created this great country. And, and we think like, well, our hard work or our inventions or whatever it might be, we, we by, by working harder than other countries or because we are who we are, we, 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 we have poured out these blessings on ourselves. And the worship doesn't go to God in heaven. The worship goes to you and I and to the American way and to our political systems because of the blessings of God. And what happens in turn is that as we praise the wrong things, as we begin to worship the idol of self or money or prosperity, we begin then to be unfaithful to God. I think that's exactly what happens in our country. We're a country full of Christians and we've looked around and gone look, God, look at the blessings. Look at all we have. And we might do this as individuals. We might do it corporately. Look at all the blessings we have. And we begin to worship the blessings. And not the blessing giver. That's exactly what happened for these people. That's exactly what happened in the marriage of Hosea and Gomer. She's like, I have food. I have money. I'll do what I want. Like I said, I mean, it just so aligns with how this unfaithfulness has come out for the Israelite people. I mean, the covenant's been shattered by a failure to teach the law and corrupted religion and faithless leadership. Those are all things, you can read those in chapters 4, 4 through 5, 7 of the book of Hosea. I mean, the religion of the time is just messed up. And we, I mean, we see that, right? Like we see that all around us today. I mean, you hear of a pastor who has slept with their secretary or whatever, and you're like, yeah, that doesn't surprise me at all. Or you hear of a pastor who has, has stopped teaching biblical things and has rejected the truths of God, and you're like, yeah, that's totally normal, right? I mean, we, we see these, this problem in our Christian faith today, and then, and then we see that politics had run amok through fickleness and revolt against God's call in 5, 8 through 7 and 10, and I won't make you raise your hands, but how many of you trust our politicians today, you know? And, and this is what they're facing, and, and God is looking down and going, wait, why are you being so unfaithful to me in, in, in your political ways? And then we see that the calling of God's people was unfulfilled because God God's people have stopped worshiping him and they've started worshiping idols and that is all around us. There's a couple things that are super important as this book demonstrates these problems and the first is that sin is very serious. While this book is primarily about grace, this book shows us that sin is serious. 
I mean, none of us would raise our hands and go, I don't think it's that big of a deal when a spouse runs around on their husband or their wife. Right? We wouldn't be like, that's okay, as long as they forgive them. And this illustration just so clearly lays out there that, that this thing that we call sin, this disobedience to God, this unfaithfulness, it's no small matter. Even if God is still pursuing and loving and forgiving us as Hosea did for Gomer, it's still a huge deal. And we can't run around living our lives going, well, I'll reject God because he'll forgive me anyway. You see, in the book of Hosea, what we see is just as a lack of faithfulness in a marriage can demonstrate a lack of love, so a lack of faithfulness and obedience to God demonstrates a lack of love towards God. And we cannot just dismiss that as something that God will forgive. But notice verses 14 through 16 in chapter 2. Therefore, I love this. This is so beautiful. It's one of those things that by preaching on it, I just feel like I'm messing it up. Like, go home and read it. I mean, just listen to this language. Therefore, I am now going to allure her. I will lead her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. There I will give her back her vineyards and will make the valley of Achor a door of hope. There she will respond as in the days of her youth, as in the days she came up out of Egypt. In that day, declares the Lord, you will call me husband. You will no longer call me my master. Do you hear what God's saying? He's saying, my people are running around on me. They've rejected me. They've been unfaithful. They've been adulterous to me. But here's my plan. Even though if this continues, I have to punish them. Even though if this continues, the covenant relationship will be broken. Our marriage will be severed. There will be a divorce. Even though those things are true, here's my plan. I'm gonna try to get them alone. And I'm gonna speak tenderly to them. And I'm gonna offer them everything that they had at the beginning. And my hope is that we will return to the, to the relationship that we had at the very beginning. My hope is that it will be like it used to be where I love them and they love me and we are, we are connected deeply and passionately again. My hope is that I can draw them out into the wilderness, speak to them tenderly, offer them what they've always had, forgive them, draw them back into the relationship that we once had. Do you see how beautiful that is? Do you see how beautiful that is? I mean, if, if it helps you to connect it to Hosea and Gomer because that's what God's doing, can you, can you just imagine, just imagine, here's Gomer running around sleeping with a bunch of men and Hosea says, I have a plan. My plan is to get her alone. To tell her how much I love her to tell her that I'll offer her everything she used to have when we, were, when we were married and we were together. That's my plan. And that's what God is saying to us, to those of us who have been unfaithful to our country that's unfaithful, to our churches that are unfaithful, and to you and I who can be so unfaithful. Here's my plan, get you alone, tell you how much I love you and how much I want you back. That, my friends, is incredible. And there's this hope that we see in verses 19 through 20 by God. I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and justice and love and compassion. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness and you will acknowledge the Lord. My goal is that once again we can have a loving, faithful, good, healthy, vibrant, passionate relationship with one another. You see, God has just not stopped desiring this intimate relationship 
with you. It, it has not changed. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter how far you've drift, drifted, how long you've rejected him. His plan is still to call you out alone and, and to say, I love you and I want you back. And his hope is still that you and him will be intimately connected, that you will have a relationship that is filled with righteousness and justice and love and compassion, and that you will once again be faithful to him and acknowledge him as Lord. And I want to go back to verse 16 again because there's this, there's this language that's, that's really important and, and it's something that, that, that matters. There's this play on words that, that doesn't come off in English, but in, in, in the Hebrew Bible, the word Baal, this word that I've already said can be translated idol, is sometimes translated husband. But it's always done in, in a negative way when it's translated husband. And it's close to like, picture like a, a, a mean taskmaster husband that just is a jerk to his wife. And God's saying in this play on words, look, I don't want you to call me Baal, master, mean husband. I want you to call me this other word, which is the word that we think of with husband, like the good side, like the healthy, vibrant, newlywed love. I want you to call me husband. I want to have a relationship that is characterized by love and intimacy, connection and unity. And I'll tell you this, I just want you to know. That if you make a decision, and, and you already know this probably, if you make a decision to divorce yourself from God and to run around with other things, I'm, I'll make you a promise. You'll find that those things place upon you a much greater burden. They're much crueler, they're much more difficult, they're much meaner than the God who wants to be your husband, the God who should be your husband, the God who loves you and pursues you no matter what you do or how far you drift. You will find that the other things that you are unfaithful with will tear you down, they will break you down, and they will leave you feeling lonely and broken. Whether it be money, whether it be sex, whether it be alcohol and drugs, whether it just be things that we call good like work, I mean, whether it be... Uh, family or friends, all of those things eventually will leave you hurt. But God will not because he is perfect and he loves you perfectly. Now, I mean, it gets even better because in Hosea 2, 23, it says, I will, plant for her for I will plant her for myself in the land. I will show my love to the one I called not my loved. I will say to those called not my people, you are my people. And they will say, you are my God. God is saying, look, I, I'm not just in love with Israel. I'm in love with all who will follow her. Anybody that wants a relationship with me can have it. By the way, verses 2.23, verse 2.23, that's about us. That's about you and I, who, who at this time when Hosea is writing, we were Gentiles, non-Jewish people who were not in a relationship with God. But God is saying, someday I will allow everybody to encounter and experience and feel and come into this loving marriage that is my relationship to my people. And in chapter three, verse one and two, we really see how it happens. The Lord said to me, this is Hosea, go show your love to your wife again, though she is loved by another man and is adulterous. Love her as the Lord loved, loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods. And love the sacred raisin cakes. Check this out. This is the line. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer and a lethic of barley. Gomer has become an indentured servant. That's what they would call it. Basically a slave unable to get out of your your role as a servant because you can't afford it. You sell yourself into this slavery. Uh, indentured servitude is selling yourself into slavery. If you ever make that money back, then you can buy yourself out of that slavery. And it seems through the language here that, that she has ended up in that situation as she's run around, as she's prostituted herself, she has become a slave to this man. And 
And wouldn't you, I mean, wouldn't the normal reaction be, you deserve this? If you wouldn't have left me, then you wouldn't be in this situation. I mean, you chose to be a prostitute. What can I do for you? I mean, this is... But that's not the reaction. God, in this living illustration, says to Hosea, here's what you're going to do. You go find her. You go find her and you buy her out of that relationship and you take her home and you love her again. And he says, this is just like me. Just as I, the Lord, loves the Israelites, though they have enslaved themselves to the idolatry that they have committed. Now here's, here's the thing. This is you and I. What the Bible says to us is that all of us, whether Israelite or Gentile, you, me, anybody, everybody, we all became slaves to our sin. I mean, the Bible makes pretty clear that we were unable to break free from sin, that we were unable to have forgiveness from sin, that we were unable to enter into a relationship with God because all of us had chosen, we have chosen to do things that are wrong and we knew they were wrong. They weren't accidents, they weren't mistakes, they were sins. We said, this is the way it should be, but I will do this anyway. And God looked down from heaven, he said, there is no way for them to get out of that sin. This is not like where I can just, I can just do some miracles and, and set the Israelites free from a country. I mean, this is beyond that. So I will come down out of my perfect place in heaven and I will buy them back by dying on a cross. I will pay for their sins with my very blood. Jesus came, he died on that cross and he rose again three days later and what the Bible declares is that you and I, no matter how far we've gone, no matter how unfaithful we've been, no matter, uh, no matter how much we have rejected God, no matter how many bad things we've said about God, no matter how long you've been an atheist, a rejecter of God, no matter how long you've been away, the gift of the cross, the gift of salvation is yours because God loves you as Hosea loved Gomer and still wants a relationship with you no matter how bad you have been. There's this book called The Scarlet Letter. You probably had to read it about your junior year of high school. And this story is about a, a girl who's married and her husband is away and she gets pregnant you haven't read it already you're probably not going to it's by the pastor in town and so to punish her in this puritan city they put her up in front of the whole city they make her stand there wearing this scarlet a it's a red a to stand for adultery that she has committed adultery and even after she's taken off of that stage and she goes back to trying to live her normal life she continues to wear this A, and she has a daughter, um, and the daughter becomes in some ways just like that A, a reminder of this sin that she has committed uh, to herself, but also to everybody in her community. And there's this line that is, I think, telling for you and I and for how we carry sin. She said, or it says, she had not known the weight until she felt the freedom. And I believe that there are many, I know that there are many people that I love, maybe some of you that sit here this morning, that don't even recognize the weight of your unfaithfulness and your adultery towards God. You don't recognize what a burden it is to be stuck in that sin, to be divorced from your relationship with God, to be running around uh, offering yourself to to things and to people that are not God, that are not your husband. And there's this incredible burden upon you, but you don't even feel it because you've never experienced what it's like to have it taken off of you. And this morning, I just want you to know that no matter how long you've carried the scarlet letter of unfaithfulness, of adultery, of rejecting God, God wants to have a relationship with you and he wants to take that letter off of you and he wants 
to have a loving, passionate, good, healthy relationship with you. And all it takes is for you to say, Jesus, I believe that you came and you died for my sins. And I want to confess you as my Lord and Savior. I want to come into a relationship with you. In a book by Francine Rivers called Redeeming Love, this book is actually written like as an allegory, almost a direct allegory for uh, the story of Hosea and Gomer. I've not read this book. I've read other things by her, and, and I hear this is her best book, so eventually I'll get it on the list. But uh, it's the story of this guy in the Old West who believes God wants him to marry this woman who is a harlot running around, and he does, and he pursues her, and he loves her, and he cares about her, and she leaves him for like three years to, to sell herself, and, 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 and yet at the end of that time, He's still waiting for her and he's still loving her and he's still pursuing her and he's still caring about her. And that book says this, love cleanses, beloved. It doesn't beat down, it doesn't cast blame. My love isn't a weapon, it's a lifeline. Reach out and take hold and don't let go. And I think there's many of you this morning that are rejecting God. There's people all around me who are rejecting God and God is saying, My love is a lifeline. Just reach out and take hold of it. But there are many of you here this morning uh, that are not being unfaithful to God and you go, what do I get out of this? And I think what you can get out of this is that we ought not be cynical. God has not stopped trying with the people that you love, that you want to see have a relationship with him. He has not given up on them and you ought not give up on them either. I was talking to Mike who's playing the drums this morning just like a month and a half ago and he he told me this story about how he was in an office in Southern California and they they shared uh, for just a short time this kind of office space with a counselor uh, while he was at work and, and this counselor was called in to... Uh, to uh, do some work with Jim Carrey. And, and Mike said, yeah, he was working for a Christian organization. He said, we were just praying that Jim Carrey would give his life to Jesus and, and would, would turn to God and, and that he would experience this incredible love that God has and understand the gospel and all those things. And, and, and Mike and I were talking, and I don't know if you've followed Jim Carrey news in the last couple of years, but he's just seemingly gone off the deep end. And last night on my Facebook news feed, a video came up that said, Jim Carrey preaches the gospel. I was like, what? That's strange. And so I clicked it. And sure enough, Jim Carrey was at a, uh, a shelter, I think, for people who, who are trying to break uh, drug addictions, for men who are trying to break drug addictions. And uh, I give him the microphone and have him talk. And, and he says, look, uh, you know, some of you know how bad things have been for me in the last couple of years, but I want you to know that tragedy oftentimes leads to salvation. He said, when you face tragedy in your life, when you face problems in your life, you're gonna end up at a crossroads. And at that crossroads, you can choose to go one way that leads to, to uh, anger and self-harm and revenge, or you can choose to go the way of forgiveness. And he said, you know, that's exactly what Jesus had to choose as he hung on the cross. And he stood up there and he had to choose between going the way of vengeance and forgiveness. And he chose the way of forgiveness and that is the way that we all get into heaven. I was like, Mike's prayer worked. (laughs) You know, like, that's incredible, right? And even, and not to throw Mike under the bus, but as we talked about it just like, you know, four or five weeks ago, for us, it was like, it's a lost cause. That was kind of the flavor of the conversation. It's too bad it didn't work. But while Mike and I might have given, given up on Ace Ventura, God had not. And I have, I have people that I want desperately to know and experience and embrace the love of God. I have people that have experienced the love of God 
and have run around prostituting themselves for years and years and years. And I pray for them, but a lot of times I think she's never going to get it right. She's never going to come back. She's never going to leave this life of rejecting God. But God hasn't given up on her. And for those of us who are being faithful to God, we must be faithful in our prayers and our longings towards others. Because even though people we care about reject God, God has not rejected them. And just as Hosea kept pursuing Gomer, God is still pursuing them and he wants to draw them into the wilderness and tell them how much he loves them in hopes that they will have a loving, passionate, faithful relationship once again. Let me pray. Jesus I pray, God, for all who will listen to this sermon and and, and just who will think about the book of Hosea, who will think about your love, God, through this sermon. And and I pray that they would stop rejecting you, Lord. God, for the people sitting in front of me who have been unfaithful to you, maybe like because they've completely rejected you, God, or maybe because just for a little while they've just kind of left you and they've forgotten about you and, and they're not thinking about you. Maybe they're here on Sundays week in and week out, but you're not really a part of their lives anymore. I pray, God, that once again they would, they would be able to not call you master, just some God that's out there that doesn't care, but they would call you husband, God, and they would return to this faithful, loving relationship that you desire. God, I pray for those people in our lives who are not Christians, who don't follow you, who don't love you, uh, the ones that maybe, God, we think they'll never return, and I pray, God, that they would, and they would hear the calling uh, that you are making towards them, and they would, they would hear your voice, and they would hear your desperate cry of love towards them, and they would give their lives to you. And I pray, Jesus, for those of us who are being faithful to you and I pray we would not give up on people because you have not given up on people and we would reach out to them and we'd share you with them and, and God, we, let us be your voice as we express your incredible love to them, showing them that while they may have given up on you, you have not given up on them. Lord Jesus, let us always remember that as Hosea loved Gomer, you love us. And God, let us take hope in the fact that you love us. Let us find hope despite unfaithfulness because of your incredible love. I pray these things in your name. Amen.